Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is is Musically Hitched. If you enjoyed today's content, don't forget to please like and subscribe so that you're always notified when new episodes are released. With the love for the performing arts and a style of her own, Natalie Reagans has found her gift in music and this passion has taken her around the world. The musical collaborations under her belt include Donnie McClurkin, Avery Sunshine, Tyler Perry, John P. Key, Mary Mary, Adam Blackstone, P.J. Morton, and many others. Her work as a keyboardist and organist with Tyler Perry for several stage plays, along with movie credits, displays her versatility. As a music producer, Natalie's creative style is accentuated through an eclectic mix of genres from inspirational jazz to Afro-Cuban rhythms to soul-stirring gospel. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Zach Reynolds Jr. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Musically Hits. Our wonderful guest is none other than the Miss Natalie Reagans. Natalie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Zach. So, Natalie, we've got a lot to discuss, and of course, this is Musically Hits, so we're going to be talking about all things music, all things as they pertain to you. And one of the first questions that I like to ask all of our guests is, about your origins, where you're from, and how did you get bitten by the music boy? Well, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I was born in Grady Hospital. <laughs> I'm a Grady baby. Grady so, baby. you know, went to Atlanta Public Schools. I said a young age, maybe three, four, you know, when you're in preschool, I was in few the productions. I don't know, I just love music. But I didn't know I'd become a musician. I like, I really liked entertainment. So I, I don't know. When I was eight, my mom purchased me this little organ. It might have been like the size, that size, and I would play little notes on it. Mm-hmm. By 11, I was picking up songs off the radio, like Lean On Me. So by 12, I was still picking up a little too much to just it'd be too casual. So my mom informed me that, you know, I've enrolled you in two piano, piano lessons. You begin next week, next Tuesday, starts at 6.30. Don't let them know what you know. Learn all you can. God bless you. And I said, okay. By 13, I had my first job at a church playing for, you know, the choir. And it just you know, took off from there. Took off from there. So you weren't looking for uh, the piano. You weren't, you know, you were, you were tinkering around with the organ that you mentioned. So it got your attention. But it was not like you weren't one of those kids that said, hey, mom, I, I want to learn how to play this. I need lessons. It's, this is just an experiment almost at, at first. I just gravitated. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't a four-year-old playing like Mozart. No. The prodigy. I got you. Right. No. I didn't know if I were. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I like performances. I, I remember that. But oddly, I feel I'm an introvert. But I did like 
stage. I did remember that. So like when I was six, my mom enrolled me into this, um, it was like a summer program. Well, it was like a weekend program. I don't even think it was during the summer, but it was held at a high school. Mm-hmm. And they, they gave, I, I'm, a, I'm six, so I'm assuming they were free. They were like community events. They, they offered classes like <laughs> drama, gymnastics, art, um, just various extracurricular type of t- activities that were offered on Saturday mornings. And my mom took me there. She enrolled me in, in dance and gymnastics. Mm-hmm. I promise that. I don't know why, but I was just a different little kid. I changed my schedule and I enrolled myself in art and drama. Wow. I I don't know. So, I I, I mean, I was in gymnastics. I, I went to a few classes and, you know, danced. And so, yeah, I think I want to do this. Yeah. So, I draw a little... And drama, I don't know. I'm just around, I guess, some dramatic people. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> you know. Who knew I would end up playing for major theater productions or, you know, major plays? I, who knew? Right. You Did you teach or was that just a track that you were on at the time for, for school at UGA? Yes. So I stood at talk, which was funny. That was months of not getting paid and doing the job of a teacher. <laughs> and I had it, I got my degree. So it was what I major in language arts, social studies minor, middle school education. And she said, my, in my, my mind, I was like, well, I need something to fall back on in case music doesn't work out. And mm-hmm. it seemed to kind of work out. <laughs> right. So you taught a little bit, you said st- student teaching. I know exactly what that's about. Uh, teaching, doing the job of a teacher, but not getting paid. Tell me more. Oh, about that. Yeah. It was fun. I it was funny. I incorporated music in what I recall. This has been some years ago. Don't do me. Don't age me. Uh, but I I remember incorporating like poems. So at the time, I'm young, girl. <laughs> so they're in the seventh grade. My the class that I'm student teaching is pretty much seventh graders. Seventh mm-hmm. graders. I want to say I felt like I was there a lot, a long time. Maybe they maybe. I remember them being in seventh grade. So poetry, you know, you have inner city kids. Come on, what's the easiest way to get them to learn poetry? Mm-hmm. Rap. Exactly. So some of the presentations. So I incorporated a lot of the arts with to that, which I'm sure it's commonplace now. Yeah. But it was a little different, you know, my the person who I guess I forgot the title they called it, but we'll say advisor person who oversaw, you know, what I did. Uh, she, you know, she wasn't a kind of modern day. She was an older Caucasian woman who was like, oh, okay. So the kids, of course, enjoyed it. So I was like, well, do you, you know, some people brought out some of their, they, they could draw. So maybe yeah. you can express this in this way. Do your book report, maybe pictures. How do you see this? So, mm-hmm. you know, we incorporated the arts. And I want to say she told me, music is your path. It was kind of funny. It's like, I think you should go music. Wow. This was, who and was, I this, was this was a, co- was this a coworker? This was the teacher who was overseeing, like, you know, you're in kinda a class like your with mentor. the teacher. Yeah, yeah, the mentor teacher. Right. There was the title they, they gave, but yes, mentor teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, when she's saying that's in my heart. Or is she saying, I'm terrible at this? <laughs> I never quite got <laughs> I never quite got accurate, you know, like 
clarity. Yeah. So I said, well, you know what? She was on to something. I did a great job. <laughs> I, yeah, she was on to something, but I did a great job. Should have got paid, but that's how, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to pay your dues, mm-hmm. get that degree. So that's it right. is what it is. So I said, well, I'll fall back on this. Let me try this music thing. Yeah. See what happens. And then, of course, social studies. I got to travel over the world. So you're meeting people from different you know, ethnicities, different mm-hmm. cultures. So that's fun to me. Yeah. Um, of course, various races of people. So I'm, I'm good. Like some, I have some really good friends who reside in Sweden. Okay. Not saying that wouldn't have happened because if I hadn't student taught, but I, I just feel that I was more open due to the path I took because I intentionally didn't go straight. What we call it, performing arts mode. Right. So my high school, I went. It was considered a bougie high school at the time, but their their tracking was more so engineering and applied technology. We just went because it was a really, really good school. They had a lot of Rhodes Scholars, and, and we were the smart kids. So I was in the magnet program. So we basically represented what the school, how the school got, I guess, a lot of its accolades. Mm-hmm. The, the kids in my class, like Killer Mike was in my class. Really? It was like a lot of, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We had like the most likely to succeed person ended up being a millionaire. I, I think we kind of were a weird class. Like we knew what we really wanted to do already. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting, I think we were a special class. I would say yeah. so. Yeah. You guys had some very, very gifted and, and purpose, purpose driven people. In For those class. who don't know Killer Mike, it's kind of a pun. Killer microphone. He's a rapper. He didn't kill people. So I just want to bring clarity. <laughs> we want to clarify his that. Name, right. His government name is Michael Render. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we knew him as. Michael Render. Wow. But yeah, now he's an activist. And, you mm-hmm. know, you see him. Yeah. Have um, people who are attorneys, people who are judges, you know, pretty, pretty proud class. However, I said that to say I didn't choose what is now called North Atlanta. Because I was like, I don't want to be in the, with the weird kids. You know, they call the creatives tend to be called weird. I want to be like the gothic kid. I want to be normal. So then when I went to UGA, I had the roommates. I had various races of roommates. Mostly, there might have been an even mix. Um, African-American, white. Um, Asian. Mm-hmm. So now I'm traveling. I'm, you know, I'm already, and I, I just, maybe I just, maybe my personality was just suited for, for what God had in store. I didn't know, you know, it's like, eh. but now I'm like, Ugh. but it comes in really handy teaching skills, like teach, treating kids fairly, mm-hmm. i.e. treating bandmates fairly. You don't treat everybody the same. You learn personalities, you know, that person might lead, need a little more, hey, Come on. The other person might need, hey, are you okay? What happened right. today? Absolutely. Are you, are you in a good place? So you just being aware, observant. I'm very observant, which I've been since probably birth. <laughs> this is fantastic. Natalie, so, I mean, we just opened up a can of worms on a lot of that right Uh-oh. there. One, what do, we I, do? It, do you know if your teacher, the teacher of that, is that, was that a homeroom class? Like you and Killer Mike were in the same was that like a homeroom class or was that a particular We were uh, in certain subjects. We weren't in the same homeroom because I think he went to the school by zoning. He okay. was in the area. I went to the school, the magnet program kids. We were coming, you know, you get into a program to get to the, get into the school. You take a test or whatever. Mm-hmm. We were in the school because we wanted to go to the school. It was this bougie high school um, at the time, Frederick Douglass High School. 
okay. where Mayor Keisha attended. She's older than us. So I, I didn't know her. Whatever. Okay. But yeah, at the time, it was considered Douglas Mays. North Atlanta was where we knew that as a school where Jasmine Guy went. You know, she attended there. You know. uh-huh, at uh-huh. that time, I think this, you know, different world is big and or becoming big and whatever. Wow. And crisscross. I was in, you remember the group crisscross? Of course, yeah. I was, now I was in the homeroom with one of their Chris, the mixed, there was a mixed Chris and there was an African American Chris. Right. His older sister, Jennifer, we were in homeroom like the whole, our whole high school career. Ah, okay. But Michael Render, I think we were in like maybe social studies. Mm-hmm. It could have been, it could have, it could have been Spanish social, social studies or language arts, English. I don't recall. I can't remember. One of one or or both or three. <laughs> but no, we weren't in the same homeroom. Yeah. It was interesting. I was thinking, you know, being being a former teacher and you being one yourself, you know, you, you learn, uh, as you said, that you, you don't treat everyone the same. You love everybody. You care. You show mm-hmm. concern for everybody. Um, but you, you everybody's not the same. So you do have to treat, you know, people according to you know their their needs their, you learn about diverse learners and you learn about you know there's there's gifted those all these all these labels and terms that that this the school system throws out but what it does is just tells you that you know every person is an individual you do learn that in the education system and i think that i was just sitting there thinking about the teacher of the class that just you and you and killer mike alone in one class i was like <laughs> man, I, hope that, I hope that teacher realized how important their their words were you and he both obviously are musically hitched individuals may have gone different different directions but but the music is the common thread but everybody has origin so thank you for sharing that wow didn't know it even was going to be that (laughs) it just kind of came out yeah life is funny so when did you realize that music was going to be a way of life for you natalie like a actual career good question I would say because I apparently I knew before even before college okay when I said well let me go and get this degree here in this in the case this music thing doesn't work out mm-hmm. I, maybe I was ahead of my <laughs> my own mind I don't know if I can even word it that way I knew probably when I began getting checks, <laughs> paychecks, you know. That's going to be one of my next questions is when do, you, when do you remember getting your first check? Like what was your first gig? Was it church or was it something else? When I was 18, the church playing for the choir. Yeah, I got a check. Okay. He gave okay. me, he the pastor. So the person I was taking piano lessons from, he was the minister of music, as we use that term, at the mm-hmm. church that I attended, my mother and I attended. Right. Um, I was raised around, um, she had two more kids, two sons. They were older. I ain't what, 13, I'm 13. My oldest brother had gone to the military, Marco, who's now Dr. Marco Allen Reagan. He's a pharmacist now. So he went a whole different route after 20 years in the military. And okay. he's a pharmacist. So, okay. And my middle brother, Mark, middle, not little, middle brother, Marlon, he was into DJing or whatever, but they did not like church. It is what they, or they didn't like that church. <laughs> they, they would, we will pull up. This is a true story. And I hate that I'm snitching. I don't want to call it snitching. We're pretty older now. So, because I didn't snitch. So anyway, 
we would, they were, I thought they were pretty bold. Um, we would go in the church. They sit there maybe five minutes. They would leave. They were done. I would stay. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, so I'm at, at piano lessons. The piano teacher, who's the minister of music at the time, he has a baby brother who's, I mean, they're much older than me. The baby brother is probably like 16 years older than me. So mm-hmm. if I'm, what, 12, he's what, 28, something yeah. like that. Right. He played the drums at the church. So he would come by because the, the piano lessons was at their mom, their parents' home, their mom, mother and father's home. So when I got really good, if we call it, the teacher said, well, I think it's time that you, you know, you're, you're a bit advanced for my class or whatever. So I'm at the church kind of messing around on the piano. Mm-hmm. His baby brother, Michael, says, hey, y'all need to listen to her, 12, 13. Y'all need to listen to her. She can really play. And they're like, oh, okay. He's like, no, no, y'all need to listen to her. Mm-hmm. So if I, you recall, I told you I was picking up songs off the radio anyway. I right. was picking up song songs. Like he was teaching me, go tell it on the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm out here picking out songs from the Thompson Community Choir, you know, with the whole little, whatever, the whole little production or whatever. So I'm a bit more advanced. So the pastor heard me one day and said, I think it went similar. I have another friend, actually. He's a, uh, he was there. He's, he was a choir director. He said that he, I don't remember this part of the story, but we'll go with it. He said that he said, hey, y'all need to hire her to play for the choir. I don't know. I just remember the scene where Michael, the baby brother, said, hey, y'all need to hear her. And within a few weeks. All of that could have totally happened, but the scene I remember mm-hmm. that happened, it went that way. The other one we called behind the scene. I I got a job and I was getting like a hundred bucks or something. And then what got funny, my choir load increased, but the hundred bucks kind of stayed a little. Yeah, it wouldn't really shift. <laughs> so I I probably had a little comedic side. Okay, I might be a little. I might have a little sarcasm. Okay, I probably got a lot. I was basically like, hey, I think we should get a little more money. (laughs) You know, and she was like, oh, they give it my baby. I'm like, mom, I'm playing for like five parties now. I think we should up. So it eventually went up to an amount and then other, other opportunities blossomed from that, like other opportunities, i.e. I might play for a wedding here, of course, generals there. Um, another church our house literally growing up was next to a church so sometimes I would be at home I promise I won't name the person um this lady she would come knock on the door and ask my ask my brother Marlon because my oldest brother he's in the military he's gone okay like Marlon is Natalie here he say Nat so-and-so wants you can you come on up here and play for the church we have 75 dollars okay and I was literally walk from my driveway <laughs> over to like the church, it's like a little <laughs> hill. I mean, a little hill. Knock on the door, they open the door, and I want, I'm right there. It was very close. Let me ask you this: What Michael, right? Yes. What do you think, or maybe how long? Because it doesn't necessarily mean just because we miss an opportunity doesn't mean we've missed our destiny. Doesn't mean we've missed our purpose. 
Um, some things do come around again. They may not be the exact same opportunity again, but sometimes we get another one. What do you think would have happened or how much longer do you think it would have taken for you to reach your destiny, at least at that stage, if Michael hadn't said, you really need to listen to her for real? That's good. Well, if the other person, whose name was Eric, if, he, if what his story was allegedly, his, so Eric was a choir director slash choir member. And at that time, he's, they're all older than me. So he's probably, Eric, I mean, might be eight or nine years older than me. Okay. So what I'm still 12, 13, it means he's 21, something like that. And his aunt, it's just funny, I guess, because how God works and how things just fall into place. His aunt worked with my mom. So mm-hmm. when I began playing the piano a little, my mom said, hey, there's, um, Jeannie has a nephew. Y'all need to meet. He sings. He sings with the young adult choir. Something, something, something. You need to meet him. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, so... I guess it was just destined to happen, but that's a great. So yeah, if Michael hadn't said that, I don't know, because Michael was very instrumental. He would take me around. He wanted me to hear better musicians. So I would ride around with him. He played at another church and I get to hear some other people, other styles. So I'm just absorbing like a sponge. I'm absorbing what I'm hearing. So yeah, that's a great, like would that any of that had even happened. Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I know that's a great question. However, Eric said that he's the one who I called behind the scenes, you know, kind of put my name <laughs> a 13. So it's like, you know, they saying like, you know, put my, put a little good word in for me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a kid. Yeah, yeah. So if his story is solid, he said that he was like, Hey, y'all need to hear her. Mm-hmm. What I will say, I played on my first album. I was 13. They, um, not my, the church recorded an album. I think I was wow. 13, 14. And 13. he said he was, that's what he was talking about. He said that he was like, y'all need to let her play this song. So I played like two songs on the album. So I was like, I said, it was a little different, different kid. So that's a great, great point. I don't know. It was, it's a lot of people. I, I, I truly believe God places a lot of people in our lives or in our paths. Mm-hmm. So if, if not Michael, it could have been Eric. If not Eric, could have been Tanya. If not Tanya, could have been Michelle. If not Michelle, it could have, you know, I really believe that. Right. I'm grateful though. It's interesting. We've had uh, several guests and interesting people. We don't know the role that we play. Sometimes we don't, you know, we, we don't plan that. And so, you know, I just think he was obviously a conduit, but he was only one piece of the, of the puzzle. But we just never know. One word, one, you know, one introduction, one chance, one somebody late, somebody was late, somebody got sick. You never know. And, Chris and Tyler Perry office, says so. one yes. That's all it takes, right? How many instruments do you play? I know that you're a keyboardist extraordinaire. You play organ. Um, so do you play other instruments or still do you play other instruments? I, I dabbled at the drums. I do love drums. I may or may not have played drums sometimes. I may or may not have switched off with the drummer at the church when we were like <laughs> teenagers and we wanted to switch on a song. I'll go to the, I might've gone to the drums and he yeah, yeah, came yeah. to the keyboard, you know, that we were the earlier versatile musicians. Mm-hmm. I might have a guitar that no. I might play a little on just to, you know, when I would do more when, like when I'm writing, I want to hear something I'll play or something I like, I'll try to find it on guitar. Uh, you know, 
I actually saxophone was my first instrument. Really? Well, if you don't count the eight-year-old kid doing like this. Yeah, in middle <laughs> school, I, I played the sax. So the first instrument that you actually took. Publicly. Publicly started learning to play, took lessons on, got instruction on was saxophone. Is mm -hmm. that correct? In okay. school, yeah, the band. I was, mm -hmm. you know, you know, some class. What do they call it? Band? <laughs> yeah. yeah, band. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So did in you middle school. I assume that you did you, you learn to read music through band? Did you learn or over time through another instructor combination? More so. I wouldn't I wouldn't put, you know, cantatas or whatever, you know, move too many movements in front of me because my ear is just out. It kind of surpassed my reading skills. Right. So I I had right. basic, I would say basic, definitely charged theory, yes. Hymnals, you know, I just have to review it. Mm-hmm way before but yeah so I'm, I'm i do okay but yeah saxophone was actually the first i was like maybe sixth grade you had access to the church so yeah i'm trying i was thinking about that today i want to say i had a key i would catch to get on the train catch the bus and sometimes i just go to the church right so in essence that kind of gave you another outlet away from home to practice obviously your mother yes. had you had you in a situation where you could practice at home but you having that kind of access, let's just call it the key. Um, keys we know represent a form of responsibility. So how do you think even something that small may have helped you develop into the musician you are today? That's amazing that you even put it like that because even sitting here now, I'm thinking, wow, they trusted me. Mm -hmm. Early. I'm a teenage kid. Yeah, early, like I've shown people that I'm trustworthy. I'm not bringing some goons inside to go yeah, rip off the right, church, you know? Right. And I'm not thinking that way. I want to say I had a key. And then even just leaving me in a room by myself to just freely do whatever, it's, you know, as far as musically play, whatever, yeah. we trust you. I think it was a lot because so with that, I guess I had a, just a deeper di discipline okay. than many because I wanted to be better. So like Sundays, I would get at that time the tape or the CD of the service because mm -hmm. I'm gonna fast forward to the part where I'm playing. So I want to hear what did I do, what mm -hmm. can I do better, wow. how can I, you know, how can I approach this differently? I was doing that. I know like 14, 15, 16, like until I went to college. Wow. I was so the key you you mentioned that it was you def that's deep like access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because everybody doesn't have that. It's like some people have, I remember, and that's you know, stories. I played a lot of basketball growing up, and I remember hearing stories of people like people like Larry Bird, for example, had his coach gave him a key to the gym. And he said one of the ways he learned to be an, a fantastic shooter was he would, he would go after hours because he would have to wait, of course, until school was, everybody was off campus, right? And so he would go, he would wait until everybody was done, all teachers go home, principals go home, lights out dark but he was afraid to turn the lights on and i remember this story so he had a key to the gym but he wouldn't turn the lights on because he didn't want to look suspicious at night like if the cops came by oh. but there was a window that was open in the gym i'm a, I'm a sports junkie in basketball here too so but the windows open and the moonlight that might be a little similar <laughs> you might be too the moonlight like is the light in the gym natalie and wow. he's, he, that's the only light that's there so he's like I realized that if, if they gave me a key, I had access. And as long as the moon gave me just enough light to see where the Come room on. was, if I can light it up in here at night in the dark, what's going to happen on that. Friday nights when the lights turn on? 
That's funny. That's yeah. really good. That's yeah. good. So that key is that key is critical to to your development more so than we we might want to give credit to at the moment because without it, there's this Malcolm Gladwell talks about the ten thousand hour rule in the in the book Outliers and how to become great at anything. You've probably heard this before. You got to put at least ten thousand hours in. Now I know wow. you put in well more than ten thousand hours. The only question is how quick do we arrive at that 10,000 hours? And so you started early getting paid at 13 and now you've got a key. So that's, that's a lot of hours that you could put in that probably were undocumented, but got you to, I'll say you're a great musician for sure. Got you to greatness probably a lot earlier than say, had you not had the key. Wow. And that's funny. Even in my practices, I would close my eyes sometimes because I could envision the keyboard without seeing it. Wow. And I would just kind of practice in every key, whatever I'm working on, I would practice it in every key. Like, look away. I still notice I do that now because so, I, I see it. I can mm -hmm. see it. I don't have to see it. If that... mm, so I, yeah. I think that might have helped with my speed. I don't know. Yeah. Or my being clean. I, I don't know. I yeah. just, it was just something I, you reminded me of when you mentioned Larry Bird, like basically you practicing in the dark, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. pretty awesome. Yeah. He was a mark. What do you call it? Marksman? <laughs> Sharp <laughs> yeah. shooting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he gave the, he gave the Lakers a fit for years. So absolutely. He was, he was one of the, one of the marksmen. Uh, what about mentors? Um, you mentioned some people already that were pivotal in your, in your development in the early years. Um, do you have musical mentors to this day? If you don't have any currently, who were your music mentors when you were coming up? Me, being the only girl raised at the home where I was raised, I I don't know if it was like I was the only, I don't feel like I was like the only child, but some people view it that way. I spent a lot of time alone. So I had, I guess I would imagine a lot. So in my mind, not in a crazy way, <laughs> in a creative way. In my mind, it's like, I would just study, like I, at a younger age, I like Joe Sample. I would study his music. I like, as far as gospel funny thing, Kevin Bunn. I think I mm -hmm. got hip to Kevin later in my teen years or mid later, like with Tri City singers, yeah. Bible stories. I was just like kind of blown away, like, who is this? Kevin has so another, would, Kevin is another one of those in the dark people. Kevin right, has okay. said that numerous times that he practiced, and particularly his left hand, he practiced yeah. with his left hand in the dark. And wow. that's what made him, him never uh, knew. Yeah. So, so yeah, in my mind, so it was like gospel. I'm listening to him. Um, Chick Corea was amazing to me as far as my jazz. It, it's mm, yeah. there's so many people, but as far as an in-person mentor, I had, uh, there was a person at church named Lee. He would also, I mean, they would be my ride home because clearly I'm 13. I don't have a license. So Mike and Lee, that's kind of how I mostly ended up with them. They they were my ride home because my mom would be like, now who wants you to play where? Right, they, right. They can't come get you. <laughs> All right, let me know. Call me last. Call you last. You're my mom. Mm -hmm. so she was in this teaching me independence in case she wasn't around. Mm -hmm. Um. So back as far as mentors, like musically, like I say, in my mind, Kevin was one of them. But I, I don't know if I have just a personal person I can call. I can't think I just will start calling people. There's yeah. a person who has a, a music institute here, Sue Hampton. When people ask about piano lessons, I'm quick to refer them there. Right. So I, she would be, I, I guess I can call her one. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Cause she was doing what I had been wanting to do. You know, she's playing the organ, playing the piano. She's you know, playing with the guys. She's great at what she does. She has, you know, I don't know, you know, her vibe or swag, her, you know, she's killing it. So mm-hmm. why not? I, I'm just, I don't know. Um, there was another musician, I think James Brown, I liked. So it was more like, they weren't in my reach. Mm-hmm. My, but my musical reach, they were. So yeah. I would just, you know, try to get the music that they had been on and check out. But in person, I would say Sue Hampton. There was nobody who was like, okay, Minty, come along. And right. I always right. felt like, I was like, I need a mentor, you know? Mm. So I would just do what I could, get certain periodicals, reading, you know, get books, go to Guitar Center, a little guitar section, go get grab books, you know, kind of help me with, you know, sight reading, help me with, you know, my theory. Then eventually, like, high school, I think I was playing, I played a little with the jazz band, because the jazz band teacher didn't know I played, nobody knew I played the piano. Really? Remember that at a music high school. It's, you know, it's pushing it's more ten, education. Yeah, like it would yeah. be kind of like a STEAM high school or STEM school today, right? I guess today, went? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, engineering applied technology. They ain't thinking about, you know, the arts because I'm not there for the arts. I'm right. there because I didn't want to go to the school in my neighborhood. Right. <laughs> I was like, no, thanks. Which eventually became one of those which schools you're talking about now. So, which is funny. So, they didn't know I played. Only people knew people at my church or some friends I had at school who knew about it. So it was, I think they found out when I was maybe in 11th grade. Because I told you my first time playing for pay or whatever, I'm 13. So there are quite a few years before when everybody knew. So they might have known when I was 17, people mm-hmm. might have found out. Yeah. That's a long time. So, you know, you've been playing for a minute, but people don't know. And that, that, can, that can catch people catch people off guard but at some point along this musically hitched journey that we're that we're on and that our listeners are on you know it it becomes obvious you you know we talked about getting getting bitten by a bug you know earlier on but you know just like i know you and i both know if a mosquito bites you you're gonna start scratching in a certain area it's gonna swell up people go eventually other people are gonna know that you got bit as well right because you're gonna be showing okay. it and you're gonna be swelling so that's that's powerful stuff you you're from atlanta you're a grady baby as we already discussed uh, why did you stay in Atlanta? Because a person like you at this point, you could probably move to anywhere in America, possibly the world, and people would still call you. Why have you made Atlanta your permanent home? I wanted to go to DePaul University, D-E-P-A-U-W, not a DePaul in Chicago. I wanted to go to DePaul U- University. It was in Indiana. Okay. And my mom was like, she's funny. She said, but you don't have a car. And I'm thinking, right, get in the car. <laughs> and it's, what are you going to do in the winter when it snows? Because we did a visit. Me and some of the high school students went. Like, some people ended up attending. One of our um, friends, who's now a judge, I think in DeKalb County, Asha Jackson, she ended up attending undergrad there. And my mom convinced me, well, why don't you go to school somewhere near. That's how I ended up attending the University of Georgia. But I had applied to various schools and got an accept, got, I, got, I was accepted, like Howard, Hampton, FAMU, you know, like yeah. those schools. You, know. you were a scholar. You were a musician and a scholar. Don't do me like that. I'm a scholar. Yeah, I, yeah, I could have. I by, <laughs> So by high school, I kind of, so you asked me earlier, I kind of figured out like, okay, 
I see where this is. I think I kind of see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I said, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't really want to be here. Like, I love you all, but I'm kind of good. Okay. She convinced me to attend the University of Georgia. So it was like far enough in Athens, Georgia, but mm-hmm. it was close enough to be like near home, I guess, where right. she felt okay. Cause you know, it's about how she felt. At that <laughs> so time, I, right. I, right. And then I toy with the idea of New York. It was, I, it was a serious thing in my mind. Like I toyed with that New York and LA. Mm-hmm. I felt I could fit in both, even though they were both were like the triple, the cost of living of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So okay. LA, I know some people are like, oh, it's too fake. It's too... I loved it. Okay. Still do. Like, I feel very comfortable there. New York, it kind of, that love, I don't want to say love, like certain things I like there, but living there, I think I'm kind of over it. Unless, you know, God grants me the opportunity to become a a filthy rich millionaire. <laughs> and then I can just have a summer home in the Hamptons or, you know, just go visit yeah. here and there. Right. So when I began traveling or touring, I got, as you say, the itch kind of mm-hmm. kind of got was able to scratch. So I got to travel overseas, do a lot of trips to, you know, various continents, you know, Africa, Europe, you know, and in various countries there, Sweden, um, heck, where did I go? As far as like Africa, we went to South Africa, Nigeria, Ghana. I mean, my first trip to Africa was um, French Ivory Coast, Abidjan, Corte d'Ivoire. So it's like, okay. And I got to, you know, just South America. It's like, okay. I got my thirst kind of quenched. So yeah. home became, this is a place I pay my bills and I just sleep. And then I'll, I'll really settle down. Clearly, I'm, not, I'm a party type. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> um, I'll settle down when I get married. So that became my go-to line. Like, okay, well, when I get married, we'll see where we'll stay. Right. And then I noticed I'm still here. <laughs> then I'm touring again. We're 10 years in touring. Like, mm-hmm. wait, I still live here. So that's kind of. As my brother said Sunday, we were chatting, like, you know, the story isn't finished. The book is not over. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But as of now, that's how I ended up still in Atlanta. So talk to me about, we just, we just hopped into the touring topic. Okay. You are a touring musician, have been for years. Uh, tell me about the realities of life as a touring musician. We got a lot of people and a lot of listeners who are going to be listening to this episode, and they're going to want to know, okay, if anybody's been on a tour, Natalie has, she's got the skinny on what it's like to, to make a living as a musician, particularly on the road. So talk to us about the realities of life as a touring musician. Let's see, I'll jump in a few areas. You need to be able to compromise because you're going to be living with various people <laughs> of all walks of life. And they may not have the same values you have. They may have better values than you have. You have to be respectful. You have to be very respectful of people's space. And touring life is a different, it's a different animal. It's like you're out there. Let's say you're doing something that's supposed to be, I don't know, Thursday through Sunday. And my 
position. Let's say you get there Wednesday. In my experiences, you're kind of bound a little to whatever you've agreed to, opposed to being at home. Oh, girl, I'm at home sleep. I can't make it back over there for a while. So you're kind of bound to where you are. So if they're saying, so-and-so wants, uh, uh, we have an emergency rehearsal. We need to run this. There's something going on with the building. Or they want to change the song. You have to be accessible. Mm-hmm. So with touring to me, in my, my situation, you get a lot of freedom, but you have to have a lot of discipline. So remember I mentioned the key earlier. Oh, it's funny that even tied in. You have to be very responsible because mama not going to be there. Daddy not going to be there to wake you up. You got to be very responsible. If the call time is two hours ahead, that's mm-hmm. the expectation. Mm-hmm. The call time is two hours ahead. You don't get there 45 minutes before rushing in. You might be sent home. Because things happen. Because you had a venue. Um, the setup may be different. You just need to be prepared. The um, Whoever you're touring with, they might want to change things up. Musical director. Want, you know, you want people to feel comfortable. You don't want people to feel antsy around you or about you. Right. So talk to me about people's personal space on touring. I remember one time I was on a, I was on a show with a band and we were going to Kansas City. And I remember that on this flight, Cameo were on the same flight. And I just remember there was, you know, there was, it wasn't a big crew. It was like pretty much the rhythm section. But I noticed in the, at the gate, they were, these, were le- these are legendary musicians. They're veterans. They've been all around the world. But I noticed that all the musicians were all in different parts of the gate. As tight as they were as a band, I realized how much physical distance they were giving themselves at the gate at the airport. And I was like, there's a reason for that. And so my question for you is, or tell me more about space, because a lot of people don't understand why that's important. <laughs> I mean, about- you're married, right? I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but they say, they say, I'm not married yet. So they say sometimes you kind of want your space mm-hmm. in a sense of, you know, where, where's your wife? Oh, she's out with the girls tonight. Or where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go hang out with the guys. Look at it that way. I don't, you know, I don't want to mess up situations. Like, you get tired of people. You see them every day. <laughs> it's not that deep. It's like, oh, my God, I got to see you again. We playing these same songs. I'm tired. Again, You've seen right. those shows, Five Heartbeats, Temptation. That's real out there. Like, oh, my God, I'm tired of you. Yeah. There is a such thing as overexposure, even to people that you love, is what you said. And even, y'all was going to say, even, like, with family, you're like, okay, mom, stop, you know. You know, you, when you're a kid, oh, I can't wait till I get out of here. You know, I can't wait till I'm on my own, pay my own bills. And then 20 years later, oh, God, I hate adulting. So, yeah, it's some of that. It could be anything. I just noticed it. And I actually appreciate it. I, I thought it was good because the particular group that – I was in at that time, you know, everybody was, was pretty much, phys- they were, we were literally physically close. And I was like, so, so being physically close does not necessarily translate to chemistry or tightness or even longevity on the road. You can be, you can be yourself as a musician because we spend a lot of time alone anyway. And like, even your, as you talked about your childhood, and I was thinking about how much time you have spent probably alone on the road, uh, in airports, on buses, trains, yeah. etc. You have you were prepped early, back to that key again, 
to spend time <laughs> by yourself yeah. working and perfecting your craft, not even realizing that one day, like you said, you're going to be in a hotel and you're going to get a call time that's two hours earlier than it is. And you're going to have to have the self-discipline to get up two hours earlier, even though you want to sleep in, to get down to the, you know, to the bus so you can get to the next stop, get to the airport, next city. You got to be able to do that in order to tour successfully. And if you can't do that, what happens to you, Natalie? Typically get sent home. A little, you know, they don't, my situations, they don't really take those risks. Mm-hmm. Especially, how do I say this? You're the musician and you're not even the, what do they call it, principal actor. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Get somebody else, Ronnie. You can be re- you're right. <laughs> you can be replaced. Came right? in filling yeah. it. I came in on a replacement in um, you know, mm-hmm. the play that I when I began traveling with the plays, I came in as a replacement of someone who, you know, mm-hmm. was kind of told, All right, thank you. The next stop, we're gonna drop you off. Wow. God bless you. Mm-hmm. So I came in that way. I met, you know, I met people in the prayer circle before the show. I just oh, was wow. sent the music. So it's like, hey, come on. We often take for granted opportunity. And we don't want to do that, particularly on this side of the pandemic, you know, coming back to, to music and getting to commune and, and convene again together, particularly around the idea of touring. It's, it's healthy to, to have a reminder that not only do people need space, but if you don't do what you're supposed to do when we do have to get together, there's always somebody else that's waiting, that's in the wings, somebody's being prepared, somebody else is in the is is shedding in the church or in the basement right now. There's somebody else just got a key for the first time and they're waiting on those opportunities. So space is important for basic professionalism. Some things are just transferable across industries and the musician world is in the touring world is no exception. So it sounds like to me, I'm hearing you say that logistics are important or if you want to be a professional musician, you need to understand logistics. Yeah. You need to understand even, people's yeah. skills, you know. Yeah, time yeah, because you're itself. on tour buses. Sometimes you don't get to stop at a hotel. So you right. need to get in your bunks. Right. And you have to control like certain foods. You probably shouldn't eat Mexican food <laughs> before a long road trip. Like, you know, just certain <laughs> things because you can't, you know, you're That's... in these bunks and you have to, you know, things happen. Some people are drinkers, some people aren't. Mm hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some people had too much to drink. They have to, you know, use the assistance of the, the you know, the in-house toilet. Mm. This is various, various situations. So, mm. so you're in a lot of close proximity. Yeah, that proximity, if you don't, if these personalities clash, it gets a little, it's a little challenging, but kind of keep to myself and you, you meet people that you bond with for life you're going to be friends with for life and some people it's like oh boy can't wait to this it's over it's okay in other words to not be in people's face all the time on the tour especially when you know it's going to be months at a time on the road even if it's just a weekend you know there's there's we're going to have there's time together and then there's time apart both are necessary both should be taken taken seriously so let's jump into some of the tours that you've done, for example, I know you've worked with the one and only Mr. Tyler Perry. So is there anything that you would say to someone who aspires to tour? Let's say they even aspired to tour with, with Tyler Perry. 
Is there anything or any advice that you would give someone to where, hey, if you get the shot, make sure you do this, make sure you don't do that? Just again, more two housekeeping thoughts you'd like to share. Be on time, do your job, mind your business. Hmm. Be on time. Great. Do, do your, your job. job. Mind, mind your, business. your business. Enough said. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. That's pretty. Those are the three things that come to mind for me first. Mm -hmm. Awesome. How do you prep for a tour? And this is a musical question as well as a, war, let's say, wardrobe question. How do you prep for tour? It depends on the tour. Some tours have a an in-house wardrobe person that works for everybody. Some, it's like you're on your own. You just know, okay, we're going to be wearing black. And you just make it through, like, what kind of black? You, I don't care if you got an evening gown. They don't care as long as it's black. You want to wear your Air Force Ones as long as they're black, you know. Uh -huh. And it may get a little looser. It depends on... So prepping depends on how soon ahead I, I got the call. <laughs> some mm -hmm. calls might be a few weeks before we're out, out there. And mm -hmm. you might have some responsibilities you need to kind of give people, you know, a little heads up, get a replacement for if you've agreed to do the tour. So right. for me, if I got a call today for a tour, what, what month we're in? in? We're pretty much in July. And the tour is going to kick off September. Well, I don't even know if I would get a call that soon. <laughs> Usually like, hey, I heard we might be, you know, out mm -hmm. again. And then you get a a confirmation call maybe two weeks before or a week before. So prepping depends on the production. What do I mean? It depends on the production. Like I've worked. I had an opportunity to work with like an Adam Blackstone mm -hmm. and I've gotten a call to do a few things with his camp. Preparation is different than if I get a call from like, Oh, Mr. Ronnie Garrett. Okay. How so? What's the, what's the difference that you're making? Sample that I, that's really notable with Adam. From my experiences, I might have, he, he's a more, I guess he would be more hands-on. Ronnie is probably a little more laid back. What do I mean? Adam, I might have a folder that has the production title on it and has my information, my, not my information, my, my music. Ronnie, it might be, and it depends on, like I said, the, the production, the actual production. Ronnie's the MD. Adam is the MD. So the production heads, there are other people who make this thing go. Right. So in, in a running situation, I might kind of make my own notes and kind of go as we go, like bring my charts. And mm -hmm. So it's, it's just, it's just different. Okay. It more um, flexible, hands-on kind of, okay, we're going to see, we're going to vibe it and see, fill it out. Mm -hmm. um, whereas another production might be a little more, this is what it is. We may shift here, but this is what it is. We have a playback person. It's already in place. Um, here's the music. This is what that artist is doing. This is what that artist is doing. And um, Ronnie, it's a little more, probably more freer. Like, okay, they haven't written that song yet. <laughs> so it, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's different. That's probably a quick example of a difference. 
in, I guess, productions that I have experienced mm -hmm. that were, I guess, I'm going to say night and day. One was kind of, hey, here. So I guess it's like having a sedan opposed to having a Jeep. It's all about, you know, you can prefer either, but, you know, sometimes that that production may be more of a suited, booted, like clear, concise, and then the other one may be a vibe. And then I might do something else. It might be more of a vibe. But okay. those are the two things I've noticed, like, hey, here, this is what you're responsible for. Well, what are we doing here? Well, we're going to, you know, see, fill it out. We're going to, you know, still working at it, kind of. I think that's good. Basically, what you're saying is that different leaders, yeah. musical directors, production executive producers, different people have different personalities, different leadership styles, management styles. Yes. And your job as the person who got the call is to discern that, figure that out. And like you said, you don't want people feeling weird around you. So whatever, whatever works for, in that case, whatever works for Ronnie, give Ronnie what he needs if you want to stay, yes. on, the, stay on the job, right? If, if Adam needs this, do that. Don't try to make yes. Adam be Ronnie. Don't try to make Ronnie be Adam. And you'll probably end up working a lot longer just as the person who was brought in. Is that, yeah. is that a safe assumption? That's a very good way to word it. And a word that came to mind was versatility. Versatility. Would it be versatile? Absolutely. So what about as a keyboard player, this is just another prep question. What about... How do you, when you listen to music for the first time, let's say Adam just gave you the, the book of songs, right? For the award show. How do you go about selecting the patches that you're going to use on the show? Cause I'm pretty sure he's not telling you as a professional keyboardist, here's exactly what I want you to dial up on this keyboard. You have to be experienced enough. With it you. might. Yeah. Oh, it might? depends okay. on if, he, if it's something he wants to hear that's not in it. He might want you to double something that's in the track. Okay. You would know that until he's, or you might. But, he, you know, that that's preference, you know what I mean? That's style. So do you personally, so, you personally pursue, you personally pick out your own patches and then if they ask you to change it to something specific, if they're familiar with the keyboard, you'll change yeah, it? Yeah, okay. that, that would, or like, how is this? And then sometimes I could just say, it could be just descriptive. Like if I'm playing aux, I'm picking out aux parts. Mm -hmm. or if I'm playing piano. What's aux know, for people, people that may not know? For people that may not know what aux is. Auxiliary sounds, sounds other than the main keyboards or the main organ or, you know, certain instruments. So they would be what we call bells and whistles. Strings. Like fine strings, right. mm -hmm. flute, you know, I don't know brass, uh, assistance, because, you know, we, like, we love live horns or whatever. Um, synth, sound effects. Mm-hmm you know, various things. Those are usually, you know, you enhance what's going on. Right. And a lot of people sleep on aux. Aux is just as important as it's main keys, important. as important yes. as bass, as important as background vocals. Sounds that it's just it's sound design. You know, every like yes. the, that literally is is probably the easiest way or what people, you know, it's a fancy way of saying it these days. But aux is in essence sound design. Those those missing bells and whistles, ear candy, whatever you want to call them. When they're not there, it's just as noticeable as if the main keys is not there, depending on the level of the production or or that particular artist's music. Would you agree or disagree? I agree. I agree. Some of the challenges in the industry, there are many, um, but I wanted you to talk with your from your perspective as a female in this industry. You've had longevity for some time. You will, I believe, you will continue to do so. What have been some of your greatest challenges 
being female in what is often a male-dominated industry? Well, you say that again. That's pretty, that's been a challenge. Sometimes it's a challenge when you're, so I try to flip it with some of my male friends. It's like, think about it. Think if, I know you love women and think about if you're the only guy in the band. And that's, you know, that's cool. You're like, oh, but then after day 333, you're the only guy in the band. Let's say this is probably a petty example. And I guess let's say you're a heterosexual guy and a guy walks by and you got like eight other people in the band and the women are like, oh my God, did y'all see him? It's so dang paying you no attention. Right. <laughs> They're like, so it's like, did y'all see him? And then they, they, depending on their comfort level, they may get descriptive. Like how much of that do you really want to hear? 300 days, well, it's 365 days a year, 200 days a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or like not, you don't realize things so you put in the minority situations. I don't speak. You know, people who aren't, who have never had to be minorities. <clears throat> stop there, huh? They, they may feel privileged. We use the word entitled. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the plight of a minority. So I would be, I would consider a minority in the band sector. Right, right. Very good. Point. But if you, if you're not privy to that, you don't, you don't, what? I mean, we treat you like, you don't feel it because you've never been the only, you know, the only, the only in, in your area. So for me, I kind of, I guess I got prepped growing up with my two older brothers, kind of. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I mind my business. What I said, do my job. <laughs> oh, okay, y'all going, y'all going to do that? All right. All right. Make sure I have my my music prepared. Mm -hmm. Make sure I'm doing what I need to do. It's pretty much, you know, cool. Don't be that, what do we call it? The company jerk. The you know, kind of. Yeah, the company jerk, like I used the word earlier, like you know, snitching always, you know, something's always bothering you, like you mm -hmm. always irritated. No, just chill, do your job, cool. It's some great people, you know. You bond mm -hmm. with some, you bond, don't bond with some. Correct. And I am not perfect at this, you know, it's trial and error. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to run into mm -hmm. some challenges. But for me as a woman, I just... <laughs> It's kind of funny, like I might, you know, hang out with some of the singers or some of the cast or, you know, mm -hmm. you know, mix it up. Right. But I'm not, no, I'm not hanging out with a group of guys, you know, doing whatever they do. I just, I've learned to kind of adapt, do my thing. What time is call time? You know, I'll see you all. Oh, Nat, won't you come hang out with us? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not. And mm -hmm. I'm okay. And right. they respect me. I respect them. And, you know, we usually, okay. Very good. I mean, that's that's awesome because I, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, this industry is has always been a certain way about certain things. And when it comes to gender, um, I think that, you know, you have a tremendous amount of experience that would help not just female listeners, but male listeners to understand. I think that was a fantastic point. Just imagine if you were the only male and it was flipped and it was female dominated you know if that happened or if that was said would you be comfortable would you say it would you would you have responded that way because it's community you know a tour is nothing but mm -hmm. a, it's a community of people sometimes it can, be, it can be five people it could be 500 people depending on who the artist is and the size size of the production so um 
you know, it's, we got we to gotta be conscious. That personal space thing is, is a very real thing. And, and understanding the etiquette of touring is what we're talking about right now. How to, how to stay on tour, you know, the whole time, right? Because you can be sent home for a lot of reasons and, and being insensitive to your up. fellow man or, or yeah. fellow woman, right? Could, could be a problem real quick. The conflicts are, you know, that's life. Conflicts are going to happen. Just, just how sure. we, you know, resolve. You've been in the teaching field. You talked mm -hmm. about being fair and kind of knowing how to accommodate or adapt mm -hmm. or kind of treat certain people. You know, some people might be very temperamental. Right. Some people might have bad tempers. Some people might be, you know, you could, you know, laid back. Or they call them silent killers. Right. Like they, you think they're cool, but they out here snitching to the boss. <laughs> hey, you know, now you're doing that. Uh, right. Maybe you're gonna somebody else. Uh, or some people are just blatant. I don't like you. Why are you on this tour? Mm. What was wrong with the person we had? It. You they gotta want have you, tough They skin. want you to know that you're not wanted. They Absolutely. Want you. Right. It, it, it's it comes in. It's challenges can come any any angle. Now some people you got people like I'm I'm single, but some people are married with families. Mm-hmm. So there are adjustments. Spouses want to come to town and somebody might, it could be anything, you know. Mm -hmm. Kids want to see you, you know, are blossoming. Sometimes relationships, you know, it's just, it's, it's just you know, I can say I mind what I say, I mind, mind my business, do my job. Be on <laughs> be time. On time. <laughs> That's good. That's so they're good playing one. like some tours, they don't, it's like, no, no. No intermingling, like, no, no, well, if you deal with something outside of then some people are like, you're wrong. Who cares? Yeah. Some people forget that it's still a job. It's a business. And yes. either you run the business or you are employed by the business. But either way, you're in business. You so all musicians, if you're out, everybody that's listening, once you decided to become musically hits, you also signed up to be a business person. You signed up to be an entrepreneur, you signed up to be a sole proprietor, whatever you, whatever your chosen company structure of choice is, that's <laughs> what you are and you need to govern yourself accordingly, both from the etiquette perspective on the person, the personal side is one thing and the human human relations, let's call them, human you know relations part of it, but also on the, the financial side. What, what financial tips, I know you're not an advisor, but you've, <laughs> made money on the road before and the tour came to an end. So at one point the checks were flowing and then the shows came to an end and they probably stopped flowing. How do you manage or what would you suggest people do to lengthen the lifespan of their financial resources while on the road touring? I would say save your money if you can. Don't, don't splurge because these things are not promised. You could think you're on a tour for six months. I think in the last six weeks. Mm. Don't leave messy where you where you where you left. Don't don't leave them wrong. Make sure they were taken care of. Mm. Let people know you care. Let them know. You know. Don't make it shady. Like I mean, I might be out next week. Okay, I might be out next. No, be clear. Yeah. <laughs> be honest, because with these days, all these devices. Mm -hmm. Natalie in Ohio. She told me she was. You know. You know, whatever. Yeah, so right. I would say manage your money. They say keep. They say keep your main thing. Your main thing. Mm -hmm. If you have some other opportunities, you know, plan. Don't like. If just if you're working on a project, finish work on work on that or use things to your advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, you're gonna be in Oklahoma, and 
you got a few days there. We off, you know, maybe you could have a little whatever uh, recording set up where you can kind of work on some projects. Or if you, you're producing for someone, you know, maybe you can get it in. But don't don't rely on another person for your um, your financial well-being. Yeah. I mean, like I would say God is my my source. Mm-hmm. He provides all of these other, as you use the term conduits, you know, to make some things possible. But, you know, make sure you, you know, handling your business. If you know, like, don't be dumb if you were making, I don't know, let's talk play, play money. You were making 20 cents to stay at home and then the tourist paying 25 cents. Maybe you should stay at home. Hmm. And maybe, you know, you can kind of suffice with some some other little, I don't know, a, a piano lesson here and there or, you know, a gig will pop up here and there or maybe, you know, put yourself out there like, hey, you know, guys looking for something. Maybe you shouldn't go on the tour because it doesn't make sense. Sometimes the disruption, because tour, tour, you have to, depending on what you're doing before you go on tour, you have to, you'd have to stop maybe or discontinue at least those in-person things. So you're saying that sometimes if you count the cost, right, the, and yeah. the opportunity cost of both going and not going, you may find it is more profitable since you're a business to stay at home. Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I Yes, that's what I'm saying. Or, you know, maybe, you know, or if you have someone holding you down at home and it's like, okay, this is an investment. You have a plan. I have a plan. I have a plan. This is kind of how I foresee. And then kind of, I know we can't always foresee things that happen, but we can do our best. You know, so if this doesn't happen, I do have this or, you know, I, I would be preferable, of course. Like, okay, guys, this, you know, what do you suggest? You know, so if you have whoever you're, you know, I'll talk to God, you know, who other people talk to. You, know, you have a prayer life, you know, like, okay. Because sometimes for me, I get a yes or no. And then sometimes it's like, well, you know, you got free will. Do what you, what do you think? And then I have to choose. So I look at it as door number one, number two, number three. They all lead to this path, but, or they lead to this destination, but it's, you know, different paths. So it's not wrong to go. It's not wrong to stay. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, great. So I have to use wisdom. My, my, I would say my situation. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that was a great decision. Sometimes I'd be like, "Ah, probably could have hung around here. (laughs) Yeah. That's good advice. Very, very rich advice. we talked about relationships several times throughout this episode as we as we kind of wrap it up and bring it to a close. How would you describe the importance of building relationships? In other words, how important has building relationships and networking been to your career? Let's see what from February in the span of years, um, February 2010 up until February 2020. That's when the last tour I did ended. Ironically, it was actually plan a planned end, and then the COVID season kicked in heavily. Like things were shut down mid March. Opportunity based on relationship, based on you know one of my friends 
there was an opening. He was like, Natalie, you know, are you going to be open to this? And I, he asked me about something prior to, and I said, well, for me to leave what I'm doing now, it has to make sense. So for me, it had to be a double or triple type situation. And it was, I can recall, it might've been a quadruple situation. So it was easy. Like I said, I ain't leave for 25 cents and I was already making 20 cents. Mm -hmm. This might've been, mm -hmm. So I guess in, in that, those terms, I'm making 90 cents opposed to the 20 cents. So it, it was a no brainer for me, but it was based on the relationship. And then someone else in the band, cause I think the first tour I did, we had a, I think it was a nine piece band. So someone else vouched. And so yeah, I know Natalie. And what have they been like? Oh no, don't bring her in here. Right. So be due to relationships, prior business, musical relationships, friendships, I got the okay. And they took a chance. Mm -hmm. So I'm meeting um, Tyler Perry in the prayer circle before the show. If I owe you, Natalie, you're the new, what was I playing, keyboards, organs? I said, yeah, okay. All right, let's pray. So, because he's trusting Who's, you know, exactly. he's trusting Ronnie right. and Ronnie's trusting Justin. Justin's, mm -hmm. you know, trusting me right. and I'm trusting, you know, Justin and Michael Burton, like people throwing mm -hmm. their names, throwing, you know, saying, okay, Melvin Jones, they're like, oh yeah, she's good. Right. So in order to stay musically hitched, you got to not just manage your money and manage your space, but you've basically been talking about for some time now managing your reputation. So you got to think about how you treat people. And you also talked about leaving well a few minutes ago. You talked about don't leave, don't leave people in a situation, even if the tour ends prematurely, yeah. earlier than you yeah. thought, you can still yeah, leave is. well, no matter what situation it is, correct? Yeah. Yes, what I've learned, like the bigger values that work across the board are typically those values that work across the board. Personal relationships, business relationships, um, you know, I would say friendships, you know, they, it's the same thing. You don't treat anybody any kind of way. You, you treat people like you want to be treated. They're privileged, pretty much biblical values. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, you know, so it's not hard. It's not, but I mean, life can be challenging, but you know, if you know someone, just say like on a, on a smaller scale, let's say if you're ordering food from a fast food restaurant. You can't be nasty with the person at the drive through window telling her, I don't, I didn't order no chili cheese fries. You're going to be like, hey, hey, I think I want, you know, kind of, you know, treat people with respect because right. you don't know what sis is about to do when she mm -hmm. sends those chili cheese fries back. Or stuff. So you go to a big, I guess people are not doing as much these days, but you're walking into a building be cool. Yeah, you be nice to the receptionists. Yeah. Because you're going to need them. Or, you mm -hmm. know, you taught, you know, be cool with the cafeteria lady. You know, these people who you need, the janitor, they might be able to watch your car, you know, somebody on the corner. Hey, I'm parking right here. Is this cool? Yeah. You know, or the flight attendant. It, you know, it, it, it in to which, where you should apply these principles. Yeah. It right. just, you know, they, they're, they're pretty much everywhere proof. I guess I can word it that way across mm -hmm. the world. So that's, that's what I, I think. In this business, that's one of the, probably the, 
I would I wouldn't call it a best kept secret, but it's it seems to be a secret <laughs> to to some people that the gatekeeper is the keeper of the gate. They know what's on the other side of the gate. And so they know the person that's on the other side of the gate. And most people are so con- concerned with getting on the other side of the gate that they that's forget good. that that person, they hired or selected or handpicked the gatekeeper. So if you make friends with them or if you're at least respectful to them, when they're evaluating who to give opportunity to, the gatekeeper's in that room. Want to add, like, be genuine too. Be authentic, you know. Don't, you know, you don't have to be fake. Like, be yourself. Like, be comfortable. And I know these days, everybody's not comfortable being themselves. But, you know, that's something to consider. Like, you know, be okay with being authentic. People can see through that. Like, that's also turn off for some people. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want him. Too much, right. It's doing too much, yeah. Good stuff. What advice would you give to an eight-year-old girl or boy today who aspires to become the Natalie Reagans of tomorrow? I say continue to, you know, strive to be the best, I don't know, Billy or Betty you can be. Uh, you, they got you a know. name now. <laughs> I give them a name. Um, little Keisha. Well, 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 you know, I don't know. Well, Jason, I... I'd say don't give up, you know, practice. If you feel that it's something, because people know, kids, it's different. Like, some kids know, like, at a super young age. Mm-hmm. And all we need is an adult to, because we, we hit on it, all we need is an adult to, what's the word, affirm. Or a big brother or a cousin to affirm us. And we, we're, we're out, you know, that's all we needed. I would encourage them or encourage you. Little Billy, Sarah, little Betsy, I would encourage you. Yeah, listen up. You know, we, it's a digital age we're in. You know, you tell some people you admire. I, I was told someone said, you know, if you admire somebody and you can't get into reach, go go check out the Instagram pages or the Facebook pages or the Snapchat pages or the TikTok mm-hmm. pages. It's just someone, you know, admirable. And kind of, you know, see if it's something, you know, you can see, look at their practices. What are they, what books are they reading? What, you know, how are they with people? What, you know, and you might find out, oh, I don't think I like following this man. So, you know, I don't know. I would say, you know, research. Mm-hmm. You know, our parents are pivotal to a lot of our, you know, moves and a lot of our dreams being, as you mentioned, you mentioned in our talk, like, what would you have reached at? If Michael hadn't been there, absolutely. But you know, we we also have some things in us. You know, I was I put up an Insta post, Insta story, and think was the Hawks, and I I have a look. So I have a little comedy on me, and I put in it, um, "Believe in yourself" from the Wiz. So the song is super dramatic. That's a real statement, though. Believe in yourself. If you want people to believe in you, you got to believe in yourself. Got to. That's right. If that helped any, that's that's what I would say. Awesome. Awesome. Believe in kind yourself. Of, yeah, believe in yourself and gravitate to people who have you in their best interest. You know, no phoniness, you know, authentic you. They they have your I guess I'd say your best in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Your needs and you know, they want to take time out. And you you can feel that when people are genuinely 
make care. Yeah, always, always. So what are you working on now? What projects or opportunities might you be willing to share with us that, that you're excited about and, and what's next? I'm on my own album at a snail, snail pace. Trying to work on that. <laughs> I have three singles that are out. Worship and Praise, um, Walk With Me, and Mighty Fortress. Mm -hmm. You can go to any of your musical digital music outlets and you can see them. Uh, I'm grateful for having a lot of production opportunities. And if you want to visit my website, you can see quite a few of the projects that I have worked on. Or you can go to my Instagram page and I have a few little posts. What's your, What's your website? My yeah. website is my first and last name, natalieregans.com. N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-A-G-I-N-S.com. Very simple. And your social media? Then I, my social media, Instagram, Natalie Reagans. I, I did a switch of Facebook, Natalie Reagans. Twitter, Natalie Reagans. I want to say Snap is still Natalie Reagans. Snapchat. Um, so TikTok, Natalie Reagan. Mm -hmm. So that's, and I have a link on my Instagram in my bio. You can just, you know, hit the, I think it's called link tree. And you can, it'll take you to like Apple Music, iTunes, whatever is available, Amazon. So that's, hopefully that covers any, how can I reach you questions? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're, you're everywhere, literally. You're all kind. over the internet, <laughs> social no, media, I'm not. I'm, and you I'm might be, a, and we might see you in the airport. We might just see you anywhere else on the on the planet Earth. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunities God has provided. I promise I am, and you know that's what's going on with me now. So stay tuned. I'm still trying to figure out. I should be trying to figure this out. If it's going to be an EP, or am I going to just throw out another single? Hmm. That's what a lot of people are doing now. Just throwing out singles. Do I do an EP or just do the full album? Mm -hmm. Are well, you writing tuned. and producing everything on the project? Most, most. Okay. I all <laughs> pretty much all of my singles I've written and produced. Okay. And will this be um, most? Will this be instrumental? Will it be vocal combination? Combo. Okay. Most. Um, well, the plan was instrumental. So what was me is instrumental. Worship and praise is actually just. I would say my gospel with a touch of jazz, Afro-Cuban jazz, kind of a chick career backdrop mm. feel. Mighty Fortress has more like kind of little yellow jackets, meet chick a little. Um, worship, what worship and praise is the, I said that's the gospel, but it has the little Afro-Cuban rhythms on it. Um, Walk With Me is more of me playing. Okay. I would say, I mean, I'm playing on all of them, but it, it, it's not, singing and mighty fortress just had more has more of a little humming a melody but worship and praise they sing and they sing in lyrics and you know they're they're going got a bridge or bath and got a little music moment at the end so you know having fun various styles will be on featured on this album so, you know. well it has been a pleasure to have you natalie uh you are a wonderful person uh your musicianship speaks for itself I totally can see why you've had the opportunities that you have and the ones that are coming and that are on the way. We're excited about that. I am more than willing to support you in any way that I can, of course, and thank you for supporting us uh, here by being present.
for Musically Hitched. I know our listeners have gained a lot of wisdom. If they were listening, they got it, you know, from one ear to the other. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Supporting this podcast is easy. Just hit the subscribe button. See you on the next episode.